0: Cleveland. It is November. We're in World Series time, so I'm joined by Or Hershiser, which is a yeah. complete pre- pleasure. Yeah. Episode 124. We don't need to
1: go uh, through I'm this. What? I don't remember this. What are we doing?
0: I know. It's been so long. When is the last time we did this? Is a it a month, month ago? Almost a month ago. Gosh, our lives have been crazy. Yes. We do this. Well, we'll dedicate this episode, if it's okay with you, to Nick Chubb. Nick so, Chubb, yeah. Only like 24 I could think of
1: that's well i know uh, there's probably not a better one so many people have reached out to me and appreciate
0: that yeah our lives have just been nuts ted has had a bunch of stuff going on i've had a bunch of stuff going on with work stuff and unfortunately something had to give and unfortunately it was our podcast so we'll try to get on a regular schedule should be yep. better yeah should be less travel. But, but we got plenty our to best. talk about and and all that but uh it's still uh still reeling from the weekend i'm not gonna lie huh. spending my time to to watch what i watched on sunday night oh geez louise so gotta find something else better to do as my yeah. old uh, old boss bill goldering says there's some something better to do than watch these games maybe rake leaves good time to rake leaves take a walk i like that you wash your dog that's always the options so
1: how's your life been buddy Uh, We're just, we're catching up. You know, we were in the thick of uh, football and hockey. Football has concluded. The sixth grade football team at j won their tournament city championship. So way to go for them. And uh, now we're on to Cincinnati. Actually, we're on to hockey. There we go. Hockey all the time.
0: Boy, Jesu's got a powerhouse over there when it comes to football. I did see this morning that their eighth grade team won the city championship as well. They sure
1: did. Yes, they're uh, they're yeah. We got some good football players at Jesu.
0: And actually, that one of the coaches is someone we had on our podcast, Chris Salada. Yeah, He's the head coach for Benedict and Boys Basketball works for a very big company, ICP. But then he's also coaching his son in some football. So yeah, Chris Chris is doing a lot. Putting me to it shame. Is.
2: So
1: his wife is my youngest son's soccer coach my gosh how about that man they're busy people yep busy people yeah well, well, Ted, how- what do we have coming up on our show well we got we got a lot of stuff do we have uh, any cross-country updates or anything from
0: you oh actually we do yes i'm sorry about that yeah my my son who's on the medina cross-country team they have advanced to the state tournament as one of the teams for the championship that's coming up this coming Saturday. So my son who had a very good season is not on the varsity rosters. Their team's very, very good, but he had a chance to go down to the districts, which was in lyria. And then this past week they went down to, I think they were in my Youngstown area. So congrats to him and congrats to the uh, boys cross country team for Medina as they uh, compete in the States. That's a big deal, man. That's not that's easy awesome. So and then my daughter is, we do have some breaking news on that. She's oh. started dance uh, with a group uh, Dance Excel in Medina. And they gave us a schedule I'm of some of the LA, competitions. Is it tap dance? What is it's it? a combination of stuff. Yeah. But one of the exciting things that she'll be doing coming up in February is that she'll actually actually be performing at a Cavs basketball game. Wow. They're playing the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay. She's very excited about this and wants to make sure that she can meet Jared Allen. Jared Allen right now can't even see the floor. So I'm not sure if he's going to be there for a performance.
1: What's what, why does she want to meet Jared Allen? I don't know.
0: That's just like her favorite player for some reason. So there we go. All right. I I just would like to see him play. Well, Um, yeah, that'd be nice. And Donovan Mitchell and a host of others like to just see him play. But yeah. Okay. It's early in the season.
1: By the way, speaking of uh, professional athletes in Cleveland, I found this interesting. We had our hockey fundraiser skate-a-thon over the weekend, raised a okay. bunch of money for Shaker Youth Hockey. Oh, awesome. One of the items that we got donated to help raise the money was a Miles Garrett Autograph football. Ooh. Have you ever seen Miles Garrett's autograph?
0: No, I have not.
1: He puts a smiley face at the bottom of the autograph. Does he really? That's yeah. awesome. I was like, that's the greatest autograph I've ever seen. That's cool. Yep, There's a smiley face there. I don't know if he does it all the time. That's the first one I've ever seen. But there's a little little smiley face there.
0: I love it. That's great. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's great. When he's not jumping over offensive lines to block field goals, he's putting smiley faces on autographs. Smiley faces, and uh, he's now a part owner of the Cavs. Yes. So there you go. What else can the guy? I hear uh, he's, he's like like a man, man of war. Monsters game next week. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Well, coming up on this week's show, we have a perfect uh, overachiever to tell you about. We have a pick of the week. John Ryan is back to talk about, well, the weekend that was. And he's got a, what do we call it? A lock of the week uh, or as close as you can get to it. Pretty much. Okay. We've got that. We're going to talk some Cleveland history with our Cleveland historian, John Grabowski. We're going to talk, it'll be kind of a sports history. We're going to talk about the old Cleveland Arena. That'll be fun. And then in a Klops Clips, a home, well, it's not standing anymore. And that's a mistake. And we'll explain what happened. And now, a woman's perspective.
2: What does a man consider a seven course meal? A pizza and a six pack.
1: This has been A Woman's Perspective. As the uh, leaves fall and the calendar turns, we turn to Destination Cleveland's Jen Brazdevic to tell us all about what we can do as it gets colder outside, which is a depressing thought. I hope you have some, some things we can do inside, but what do we have here in the month of uh, November for us here in Cleveland, Jen?
2: I know. The weather has cooled off. The leaves are gone. The Cavaliers are back at Rocket Mortgage. So that can only mean one thing. It's November in Cleveland. (laughs) And November in Cleveland, of course, means that we start talking about the holiday season, too, because that's how we do things here in Cleveland. And nobody does Christmas like Cleveland, so we like to look forward to it. So one of the things that makes Cleveland a Christmas town is the Christmas Story House that's over there in Tremont. And this year, that movie is celebrating its 40th anniversary and as a very special treat for Cleveland. The Greater Cleveland Film Commission has put together the biggest cast reunion ever for the movie. This is celebrating 40 years, and it's got all of the main players, including Ralphie, who very rarely does public appearances, but is doing it here for Cleveland because um, he has said that he had such a great time when they filmed part of the movie here in Cleveland that he wanted to give back to the community. So they're calling it Ralphie Comes Home. It is uh, the biggest cast reunion ever of the movie. It's being held at Public Auditorium November 10th through the 12th. So there's going to be a behind the camera panel on Friday night and then Saturday and Sunday, they will be over at Public Auditorium for the Cast Expo that has autographs, photo ops, um, all sorts of Christmas story themed entertainment happening for you over there. And the Cleveland Christmas run is also happening this year. That takes place Saturday morning to tie into all of this. So runners will start at Public Square and run to a Christmas story house over in Tremont. So there's a 5K option. Or if you're feeling ambitious, once you get over there to the Christmas story house, you can turn around and run back to do a 10K. So we are getting the holiday season started early here, but it is a really cool, unique Cleveland thing that we have happening November 10th through 12th at Public Auditorium. Of course, you said that you want something indoors. Well, what if I bring the outdoors inside for you at the Cleveland Botanical Gardens? So this year they have a brand new winter experience. It's called Frost. They've done Glow the last few years. This year they've they switched gears and they're doing this show called Frost. And it is like a winter wonderland brought inside. So there's a uh, light arch ice light installations, um, ice arches, tunnels of flowers, tons of plants, of course, because it's the botanical garden. They've got more than 500 poinsettias that are going to be part of this display, um, some seasonal soundscapes and uh, landscapes for you to enjoy. And the Destination Cleveland team got, um, got a little bit of a sneak peek at sneak peek at this from the Botanical Garden. And let me tell you guys, this is gonna be really cool. It is no matter what age you are, it is going to be a quintessential Cleveland thing for you to do this winter. You're gonna wanna make your way over to the Botanical Garden. This opens on November 18th and it runs through the end of the year. So you've got quite a little uh, bit of time to check it out there. But great to take the kids over. There's some cool sensory experiences for the kids. Um, But like I said, even if you're an adult, it's going to be a really cool celebration of winter in Cleveland over at the Cleveland Botanical Garden. So a little different take on winter. And like you said, Ted, it'll get you inside. So you can stay nice and warm inside there. And of course, Christmas is not complete. The holiday season is not complete here in Cleveland without the downtown public tree lighting. This is happening on Public Square on November 25th. So the Public Square Christmas tree lighting happens every year the Saturday after Thanksgiving and it kicks off Winterland. Um, Winterland is that celebration that happens all throughout downtown Cleveland. So there's plenty of excitement day of, there's ice skating, there's events at Tower City, including a massive slide that is modeled after the one that is in A Christmas Story. So we're sensing a theme here this year for the 40th anniversary. Um, fireworks to end this evening. And you can get a start on your Christmas shopping. There's gonna be a Cleveland Bazaar pop-up in the Fifth Street arcades. But what's really cool is for the, I think it's the second year that they've done this, they're really extending the celebration all all winter long. So it's not just about the holiday kickoff, they're carrying it all the way through February. So um, there's going to be a huge lineup of seasonal events in and around downtown. That ice skating rink will stay up in public square. And for the grown-ups who might need a little extra holiday cheer this year, there are a few Christmas pop-up bars around Cleveland. So we've got Miracle on 4th Street is popping up at Society Lounge. And the Xmas bar will be back in the flats this year. So if you're, you know, lacking the holiday spirit this year, we've got some spirits to get you feeling festive this year. So a lot of stuff happening this November. Um, a lot of it is holiday themed, winter themed because we're getting into that season. But of course, lots of great restaurants. Um, Playhouse Square has their Broadway series back this year. So a lot of really cool stuff for you guys to to check out around Cleveland this November.
0: Jen, super exciting. I, I really do enjoy the holidays and I, I love all the decorations and all that that they have on Public Square with the lighting. It is so cool. It's so well done. So as part of that, I think you know what I'm going to ask. Is there any new restaurants or places that you would recommend during this time when people are running around the downtown area or the outskirts of it?
2: Yeah. So two things to mention there. Cleveland Pizza Week is back again this year. So November 6th through the 12th, there's 38 different restaurants that are offering special pizzas for just $9 each. So if you're you're out and about in Cleveland, you're going to want to check that out. There's a whole website that lists all of the different spots that are offering those specials. And then not necessarily a new restaurant, but a new take on an old favorite, the Rowley Inn, which is over there in Tremont, right across from the Christmas Story House, is reopening this month. It's been closed since August for renovations, so they've expanded their kitchen, they've expanded their menu, and one of the things over there is that they really focus on Cleveland-style comfort food, so lots of pierogies and lots of good comfort food over there. But it's been closed for a few months. So if you're out there and you're trying to get in the holiday spirit, stop over, take a picture in front of the Christmas Story house, and then pop over to Raleigh and check out some of their new menu additions. They've got a few extra seats in there now. um, But the big thing is that they finally expanded that kitchen. So their staff is going to be able to uh, pump up meals a little faster for you. They're saying you're going to have better service, quicker service. um, But it's just a Cleveland classic over there. So definitely something to check out this holiday season.
0: That's awesome. Very cool. I love that place. I've been there many a times and they have like all, a bunch of different Cleveland cocktails and all that. They do so well. I'm so happy to hear that, that that went well and they're going to be opening now. This is perfect time.
2: This yeah. Is perfect great. timing for everyone. Who's going to be over there checking out the Christmas story house in the season. So definitely a stop to make. If you're looking for that true Cleveland experience.
1: Is Ralphie going to sit on Santa's lap?
2: We don't have confirmation of that yet. I don't but, know. And who knows? I don't know if they're going to try to send him down that slide over at tower city they're, it's all modeled after that old Higbee's building and the the scene in Christmas story that was filmed at Higbee's right um, so, so we'll see what what they can get Ralphie to do if they i'm sure there's going to be a red rider bb gunner too on um, on scene with him so we'll see but it should be a really cool celebration and the Greater Cleveland Film Commission has worked really hard to put together this cool celebration and again it's just a very uniquely cleveland thing that you're not going to be able to experience anywhere else
1: now that area that was in the Higby Building where they filmed that—that's part of the uh, the uh, casino now, right? That
2: yeah. is part of the casino now.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, we'd I like
2: guess. to repurpose our old buildings here in Cleveland. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess they could go. Uh, I'm sure there's no—they've uh, redone it all in there, but they could go kind of stand in that spot and say, "Well, this is—you know—right here with a slot machine is where <laughs> the one is
2: where the magic happened." Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you, Jen, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. We'll check in uh, for uh, December here before too long.
2: Thanks, guys. Have a great month.
0: Ted, get ready for some good news. Okay. Police recently arrested a man climbing the Eiffel Tower. The How is this I good Do news? Uh, I don't know. We're going to see where this leads. This led to visitors being temporarily stranded at the summit. Among them was a reporter for the Associated Press in Washington, D.C. couple. The boyfriend had been planning to propose in a Paris garden with a romantic dinner, but when the lifts were shut down, the guy sprang his surprise. The girl said yes, and the reporter was there to get the story. By the way, the climber
1: was
0: found between the tower's second and third floors. A special team of climbing firefighters led the jackass down, and police arrested him. Uh, uh, Well, he didn't get very far. certainly did not. Come on. I use that language very loosely, because when you decide to do things like that and you have to have someone rescue you, you are definitely a donkey. There's no doubt about that.
1: Okay. Well, despite that, still uh, a memorable outcome for some folks. That's a story to, hey, how'd you propose? Well, let me tell you. What's time once again
0: for us to talk some betting, and there's no one else I'd rather talk with about that than John Ryan from the Predictive Playbook, our favorite sports handicapper. And John, coming off the weekend, collagen, professional, wow, there were some crazy games this past weekend. Certainly one that jumps out to me that I know you had your clients on was actually Arizona in a college game with with a bit of an upset over
3: Oregon state. Yeah, that one uh, was, that was a good one. The, the weekend as a whole to be uh, completely transparent was uh, pretty much pretty as close as you can get to a disaster as I've had. in <laughs> uh, at least five years, um, uh, not to give you a, a bad visual guys, but you know, I've always told people some days, or some weeks, you're the dog. And other weeks, you're the fire hydrant. <laughs> and believe me, yesterday, we were truly the fire hydrant. Uh, and there was about 100 dogs running around the neighborhood. So we, we took it on the chin yesterday. We're still about 500 now in the NFL. I haven't had a losing season in, in the last seven in the NFL. But there's always going to be that first one. And I mentioned this not to necessarily brag about uh, losing. Or the fact that college football has done well, or that our 10 unit play on Arizona won. Uh, but the reality is, is that this is a dangerous thing to be doing. And people have to realize that when you, nobody has a crystal ball, nobody has any inside information that is a lock. There is no such thing. I've been doing it for 29 years. And that's the biggest red flag I can tell any of the listeners. As you get to a handicapper that says they have a lock or a game of the year that's going to win, bet everything you own on it, I would run for the hills as fast as my legs could carry me. So it happens. Yesterday we, we won uh, one game, I believe, Ken. And, uh, you know, the other ones were looking good early, but it doesn't matter how they look good early. They ended up being ATS losers. So we move on to next week, like Bill Belichick loves to say.
0: Yes, yes. Ted, you got any comments or questions about the past weekend or games that you watched that were surprising to you?
1: I think we're on to Cincinnati personally. <laughs> yeah. uh, I I mean, do we want to talk about whether we should run the ball on third and three or if we should no. with a third string quarterback? Probably not. I. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. No. Well, John,
0: obviously for us, you know, being Cleveland fans, we had the frustrating game. Obviously. At the end, the point spread was minus four. That's actually what I ended up with. It and I was actually looking at Seattle to win, and it was a push, and I guess I'll take that after the way that game went back and forth and all that.
3: Yeah, that was a fortuitous win for us, no no doubt about it. And sometimes, you know, for the listeners here in the Cleveland area, sometimes when you do the analytical situational betting, uh, you have a choice to make. If you don't want to ever bet against your team, whether it's the Eagles, whether it's the Patriots, or whether it's the Browns, you have that right. You know, even if somebody says to you, look at this system, it hit 75%. And uh, I, I forget what the system was, Ken, on the Seattle, but it was a big one. And yeah. uh, you know, it was fortuitous that he even got a push. Yeah.
0: Take a push. It's better than a loss. That's the way you look at it, John. You know, and it, and that's the thing. And I appreciate your transparency and that's got to let the listeners at home just know, obviously, they had opportunity to hear your story and all that, but you're very transparent. If you didn't win, you say you didn't win. I mean, it's just, there's you don't try to hide it or sugarcoat it or anything like that. And let's be honest, every game is 50 50. You try to look at these trends and all that, but every game, anything can happen, which is uh, very, very interesting. Well, John, you've been so nice to us the past couple weeks uh, with uh, giving us selection. So is there some selection you have coming up for the weekend that you're taking a look at that maybe our listeners should look at for the uh, predictive playbook um, play of the week?
3: Yeah, I think this is a good one, guys. It's Florida State is on the road at, Pitt, at Pittsburgh Panthers, an ACC matchup. Uh, Florida State is one of the top teams in the country. We've seen it week in and week out now, undefeated in total control of the ACC conference. I expect them to be the ACC champion, and they're also well-coached, so this is not going to be a letdown situation on the road uh, going up against a Pitt Panther team that was just absolutely mauled by Notre Dame. And there you go. There's a a bright uh, ray of sunshine, guys, because at least we didn't bet on Pitt on Saturday.
2: That's Uh, true. it's
3: always a silver lining, right? (laughs) But uh, that that was a pretty ugly game for Pitt. Uh, I also think it's a very demoralizing game because they were kind of there a few weeks ago, and now they're not. And now they have the Seminoles coming in, which is, like I said, one of the best teams in the country. I think they will be in that championship game. Uh, whether they have to play Georgia in the first round or whatever, how that works out with the SEC winner. Uh, I think Florida state is a very dangerous team and they're not going to show any signs of letting up. And furthermore, it's backed by a system that's gone 46 and one straight up 33 and 14 against the number for 70% winners. since 2010. So we're talking nearly 15 years. So we're gonna bet on favorites of 19 and a half or more points that are on the road facing a losing record team and has won 75% or more of their own games. And also uh, over the last um, over the last seven games, they've covered the spread in at least five of them. So five, six, or seven consecutive games they have covered the spread. That set of parameters, 33 and 14, against the spread for 70.2% since 2010. I might add, too, that this is a big favorite. So you're not obligated to bet it all pre-flop. You can bet half of your normal bet size pre-flop and maybe look for Pittsburgh to put up a little bit of resistance. Or maybe Florida State does start out a little flat in that first quarter. Uh, take advantage of that because if you get a line that's anywhere close to 14 and a half instead of the 19 or the line that it is now, which uh, is 21 and a half points, anything close to even 17 and a half to add 25 bucks to your normal bet, yeah. that's the time to do it. And in game betting gives you the opportunity to save some losses too because you may lose the game. Uh, at minus twenty-one and a half, but if you have fourteen and a half and seventeen and a half, and the team wins by twenty, hey, that's you're breaking even, and and that's the whole idea with the live in-game uh, strategy. So play on Florida State this week, guys. I think they're they'll win this by twenty-seven or more points, and you know, hopefully we'll have another winning week this week.
0: Be great. Well, that would be great. Well, John, thanks for uh, your selection. Thanks for your input. I think the next time we have you on, you the concept that you have for your live in-game betting is very, very good. And particularly we're huge basketball fans here in in Cleveland Mm -hmm. and with the NBA kicking off, our team's not playing the best right now, but I think it'd be great for you to kind of give us a a little bit of a tutorial on live in-game betting, looking at totals and sides and all that, just to kind of give our listeners an idea when you're talking live in-game betting, what you should be doing, maybe coming up with a plan. I think the next time we have you on, John, we would love to kind of, dive deep into that whole thing.
3: Oh, I would love to do it because the NBA is by far the best opportunity to do live in-game betting because of the volatility. You have teams that score 10 in a row, 12 in a row. Then there's an answer by the other team. So, yeah, that would be fantastic to uh, talk about that on the next show. That'd be great.
1: Awesome. All right, John, well, we appreciate the uh, time and uh, we'll go all in.
3: My pleasure, Ted and Ken. Anytime you want to do it, I'm I am game for an excellent conversation. Awesome. Thank you. You got it.
0: Ted, get ready to overachieve as we have another overachiever. Uh-huh. This one is four-legged. A cat in the United Kingdom is the Guinness Book of World Records is in the Guinness Book of World Records for the loudest purr of any living domestic cat. Oh, loudest purr! How about that? Oh, the 14-year-old feline's purr was measured at 54.59 decibels. My gosh! Which Guinness described as similar to the sound of a kettle boiling. Oh,
1: hmm. well, I think we have. Uh, I think we have that purr. Let's, I think we have the world record attempt here. Let's listen.
2: This is an official attempt for the loudest purr by a domestic cat.
0: Nicole, Bella, are you ready?
2: Yes, we
1: are. Um.
4: The minimum that you had to achieve today was 50 decibels air weighted. I can now confirm that you
1: achieved
4: 54.6 decibels
1: A weighted Congratulations. You are officially amazing. That didn't seem that loud, Ken. Did that didn't seem see loud that at all? It sounded like
0: they were running a, like boat, a cat like a, that a, I own. Like a fishing boat or something. Yeah, I
1: don't, like a I don't
0: know. a small pontoon. Okay. Well. well, the owner says that she and her husband often have to turn the sound on the TV up so high so they can hear it over the cat's purring.
1: Well,
0: okay. well, not in that example, I'll tell you that. That seemed nice and quiet. Well, Ted, I I, the decibels were not high, but the proof is in the pudding.
1: I, I wonder have a cat the, the that's owners The owners were
0: reaching 54.59 decibels. God bless him. <unemployed> blah, 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 blah,
1: blah, blah,
0: blah,
4: blah, 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 blah,
1: blah, blah,
4: blah
0: Today's guest is the author of The Beatles at Shea Stadium and one book that we're very interested in talking about, The Beatles in Cleveland. Our guest also has four books, not about the Fab Four, but almost as much fun since he writes about the comedy industry and laughter, and whenever possible, the laughter is out loud. Let's meet today's guest, David Schwenson. Dave, thanks for taking the time with us. Now, I must tell a backstory. I learned about you from my parents. So they are actually members of the, uh, uh, in Parma of the senior center. And you gave an outstanding presentation talking about the Beatles and my mother talked about it. And I'm like, you know what? He would be great to have on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. us to tell us about your book and your experience with the Beatles in Cleveland.
4: All right. Well, first of all, thank your mother. That was a fun crowd we had out there. And, uh, yeah, I love talking to the original, uh, the baby boomers, of course, they were the number, uh, the first generation Beatles fans, but I've also been very lucky in doing my programs for, you know, schools and libraries and, and different uh, historical societies, things like that. So, you know, in addition to seniors, I do these programs. I get these teenagers, like 12, 13, 14 year old come walking in with their, their Beatles t-shirts on. And I'm like, you know, your your parents aren't even old enough to remember these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun, but you know, I've learned from doing it. It's still, we're talking about something that happened, you know, the, the two concerts I specifically wrote about, three, actually, the two concerts in Cleveland, which is covered in the Beatles in Cleveland. And then, of course, the Shea Stadium concert, which is the the be- very beginning of Stadium Rock. I mean, th- those are coming up on 60 years ago. Wow. And uh, but I always say it's, it's the music that keeps it alive. Uh, the uh, again, the, 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 the newest generations are discovering the Beatles through their music. And and, and my gosh, the Beatles are releasing a new single <laughs> this week. Yes. Uh, yes. So, and there's all this excitement building. I see it on the internet. I I keep in touch with everything like that. And yeah, there's a lot of excitement about that one. So yes. So thank your mother again. I certainly will. (laughs) It's her, it's her fault that I'm here with you guys.
1: (laughs) Dave, what are some of the uh, highlights of the Beatles in Cleveland? Uh, I believe it was at Public Hall. Uh, and, uh, what can you tell us about uh you know, the, the the thing about the Beatles in Cleveland, and I wrote that book for myself. Um I,
4: I gotta tell you, i I probably, you know, I'm more known in the comedy industry for my days working in New York City and Hollywood. And my first book is How to Be a Working Comic. And and you know, my second book, Comedy FAQs and Answers, I interviewed about forty some of my friends, people I work with in the industry. Um, but we would you know, so I mean, those were like, you know, whatever uh, we would talk around. I remember standing around the New York City Improv and talking about the best concerts we'd ever seen. OK, because we have a lot of time hanging around. and I will drop names. I'm a name dropper. I think I had this conversation with Larry David and Ray Romano and mm. Dave Attell and some of these guys were all hanging around. And I would always come out and say, I saw the Beatles. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, my mom and dad took me. And like, what was that about? You know, I said, well, it's like a riot. It was like a hard day's night. Anyway, I, I'm bringing this up because when I saw them uh, at the Cleveland concert in 1966, but I was too young to go to the one in 1964. When I started researching this, I thought, well, I better write a book, you know, because I just I just had nothing to write about one night. <laughs> I thought, well, let me put my memories. I was writing entertainment uh, columns for different newspapers around here, northern Ohio and reviews. I mean, everyone from Willie Nelson to Britney Spears. OK, and I got to hang out with the monkeys, and then with Dave Chappelle and saw all oh, these wow. people. And, but I had nothing to write about one night. And I, so I thought, well, put down my memories of this Beatles concert. And I posted it on the internet, on my comedy website. And seriously, the next morning I had emails. You you saw the Beatles? You wrote, what else can you tell us about this concert? I'm like, all right, well, I got a life. Let me write something here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm, anyway, it just turned into a book. Uh, and I, I keep saying I wrote it for myself. But the thing is, because I'm a Beatles fan and, uh, you know, I started interviewing people that traveled with the Beatles, toured with them, people that reviewed their shows, the disc jockeys, everything was involved just in Cleveland. I was only interested in the Cleveland shows at that time. And, um, you know, it just sort of I I learned so many different things happened in Cleveland that did not happen at their other concerts. And I'm like, you're kidding me. All right. I mean. I grew up in Cleveland. The concert was great. But what went on in Cleveland would have never happened in New York City. It would have never happened in Los Angeles. You know, the, the police and everything just would have shut everything right down. You wouldn't get near these guys. In Cleveland, the fans were running onto the stage and tearing their, you know, jackets. And one girl jumped up on the drum platform and took the drumstick right out of Ringo Starr's hand. And uh, but, but just little things they did. Like their dressing room was in a luxury house trailer behind Second Base at Cleveland Stadium. The mm. Cleveland Indians infield, they never did that. In New York or LA, you can watch those videos of those concerts, Shea Stadium. The kids didn't even know the Beatles were in the the, the place until they were announced on stage and came running out of the dugout, and everyone started screaming. In Cleveland, they waved to everyone before the show started, then they walked across the Cleveland Indians infield and went in this trailer and sat there the whole time. So the adrenaline, the excitement, uh, every, every time anyone peeked out of the the trailer looking through the curtain, the kids thought it was one of the Beatles. In my research I found out it was never one of the Beatles it was a guy by the name of Joe Stipe he was in there he was supposed to be protecting that trailer for the owners the Beatles were inside sitting on the couch reading the newspaper tuning in their guitars they never looked out the window but uh, you know little things so the adrenaline's building and you know by the time the Beatles come on stage in Cleveland it's usually about the third song fourth song the kids were running onto the stage already just chaos a hard day's night on the north coast <laughs>
0: Dave, very intriguing. I I, I, I myself are a huge Beatles fan as well. I always enjoy their music and a lot of respect. You kind of talked about some of the stories. Was there any other information as you talked to others of, of maybe overall about the Beatles that you necessarily didn't know before you started doing your research?
4: Well, one thing they all said, again, since I've been involved in the comedy industry, that's, that's you know, I'm a comedy coach for the improv comedy clubs. I've been working with comedians forever. Uh, really, their sense of humor, you know, they were just a funny... Comedy team. And when I do my programs, when I go out and do this, I say, uh, from what I understand, they were like Monty Python 10 years before Monty Python. Hmm. Okay. And and uh, I think it was Norman Wayne that produced the uh, Cleveland shows. He said he wished he could have had a tape recorder in their hotel room, just recording what these guys were saying because they were just hysterically funny. Everybody talked about their sense of humor. And it was the four of them. And it's that uh, type of humor, you know, English humor is a little bit different. Than over here and very dry kind of humor very sarcastic, very Liverpool very tough guys. That's the other thing I always think about too everyone talking I mean I shouldn't say this but everyone talks about you know the difference between the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and you know Keith Richards is the pirate and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if they got in a street fight I would take the Beatles over the Rolling Stones any day <laughs> they were some tough guys you didn't mess with them and uh, you know and they had a sense of humor to go along with it so that's that's a, one thing I really enjoyed finding out about them.
1: Dave, what? Uh, how many times did the Beatles play in Cleveland? Just twice. Uh, okay. on, on September 15th,
4: 1964, at Public Hall downtown. Yep. And then on August 14th, 1966, at Cleveland Municipal Stadium. They were banned from coming back to Cleveland because of what happened at Public Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mayor Ralph Loker told the journalist Jane Scott, Jane is in my, she's no longer with us, but Jane is in my book. I was so fortunate to know her from working in the newspapers when I when I moved back here from Los Angeles, and uh, she had interviewed the Beatles. You know, it was matter of fact her first assignment as teen editor for the Plain Dealer was the Beatles concert at Public Hall. You know, complete chaos. Um, but yeah, Mayor Ralph Loker, uh, James Scott asked him, "How can you ban not only the Beatles but rock and roll shows? How can you ban that from Cleveland?" And he says, "That's not the way little girls should behave in public." Hmm. All so right. That was it. And I always laugh because they still had one concert they couldn't cancel. It was already under contract. It was coming in. I think it was November fourth, nineteen sixty four, and it was the Rolling Stones at Public Hall. Mm. <laughs> you know, and that's when things started changing because back in sixty four, uh, you know, parents had no problem. And this is in most big cities, parents had no problems dropping their kids off at the arena to see the Beatles. I mean, 10, 11, 12. It was a different time in the sixties. You know, mom and dad didn't care about the Beatles. They were long hair you know, rock and roll, bad influence stuff. So mommy and daddy would drop them off. Then they go to Playhouse Square. They'd go out to dinner. they go shopping at Higby's and Hallie's, whatever's downtown at that time. Then they would come back to pick up their kids at public hall afterwards. But there was this major riot. I was in all the newspapers. It was on the news that night. They stopped the concert. The, the police were on stage. The Beatles were pushed away from the microphones. The kids were rushing up. And so after the parents read about this in the newspapers and saw it on the news, they weren't about to drop their kids off anymore like they used to. So Jane Scott told me with the Rolling Stones that November, they had maybe about a quarter of the arena had people in it. They brought everyone up from the back. So they sat closer. So it looked like they had more people. Oh, wow. But that was it. Done.
0: That's, that's funny. That is just
4: very interesting, Dave. Two last
0: questions, then we'll let you go. Obviously, you have spent a lot of time on The Beatles. You kind of mentioned, and I had the opportunity to read some of your bio. You talk about some of the other books. You want to talk about some of the other books you've had the opportunity to write about besides The Beatles?
4: Well, you know, my background um, goes back, uh, you know, I grew up here in northern Ohio. And uh, when I got out of college, I had a business degree and I wanted to be in show business. And back at that time, I didn't really think there was much show business around here. And I'll tell you how long ago that was. I got on my brand new Vegas station wagon. (laughs) (laughs) I moved to New York City. I did not know anyone in New York. I just had worked. In my parents' business, I'd saved enough money. I thought I had enough money for six months. I probably I had enough money for one month in New York City, <laughs> but I made it work, and I stayed there. And, uh, you know, a, a long string of events, things that I did. I did a lot of fun stuff, including doing soap operas and playing music down the village, all these things. But uh, I wound up as the talent coordinator for the original improv comedy club over in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, and wow. I was the guy, you know, managing the club, you know, but also scheduling the shows. So I got to work with all these comedians. I mean, I've already mentioned Larry David and Ray Romano, but, you know, I mean, the, the people used to hang around the the bar looking to get on stage at night would be like, uh, let's see, Chris Rock and Jon Stewart and Rosie O'Donnell and Sarah Silverman and David Tell. I could go on and on. I'm a big name dropper. And also like Rodney Dangerfield and George Carlin. Um, I moved out to Los Angeles to the Hollywood Improv and I became assistant to Bud Friedman, the guy who started the whole thing. And so I used to schedule the shows out there. Also, we had a TV show on a TV show called A&E's An Evening at the Improv. Hmm. So I was the talent coordinator for that show. So I got to go out to other clubs and look around for people who made me laugh and put them on television. And, um, you know, also consulting, you know, finding, setting up showcases for like The Tonight Show and Comedy Central, David Letterman, that sort of thing. Uh, so anyway, when I came back here to Northern Ohio to start my own business, uh, booking corporate shows, colleges, cruise ships, you know, clubs, things like that, um, I started doing comedy workshops because the comedians in Cleveland were like, who's this guy hanging out? I would hang around with the headliners because the only people I knew, I'd been gone too long. And who's that, that guy hanging around with uh, you know, Drew Carey one night or Jeff Boxworthy one night? I'd say, oh, that's Dave Schwenson. He's booked TV show in the evening at the Improv. So they would have all these questions for me. So I said, all right, well, I'm gonna do a workshop. You know, these comedy workshops in New York and LA, so I'll do one here, just one. I'll take 10 comics who want to come in. They can ask me questions. We'll go over their act. We'll do this stuff. And that'll be it. Uh, that was going on many, many, many years ago. I've had over 1,200 people go through wow. my workshops here. Uh, I've done them around the country, uh, mostly Cleveland, Chicago, and the Tampa Improv Clubs. But I've done them from San Francisco to New York to Florida. And anyway, my other books are based on that. The first book is called How to Be a Working Comic. And it's really, I consider it a business book. You know, how to break into the comedy industry and make a career out of it. And, you know, again, it's it's, it's from my experiences, but I, I I was able to tap into the experiences of some very well-known comedians, you know, and I and I was friends with them. So I could call them up and I'd say, how did you do this? How did you do that? And uh, so they're all in there. Everyone from, you know, Top and Drew Carey to Mother's Brothers, you know, that kind of stuff. And then uh, the follow up book was called Comedy FAQs and Answers because people sent me questions after the first book came out. So I called up you know, some more comedians. I talked to over 40 some comedians and industry people, agents, and managers, publicists, uh, club owners, things like that. Just share the, the industry, you know, oh, really the awesome. business for comedians. And then the third book is called How to Be a Working Corporate Comedian because that's a big market that comedians don't know about doing corporate events and things. So that's it. And then I have another book out called Um Something to Laugh About, which is just I wrote humor columns. Well, I won an award for it actually from the Ohio Newspaper Association. Oh, that's awesome. Very and cool. uh, I put I think 144 of those columns uh into a book. And um, you know, I bring those with me. I just I do comedy workshops also for lifelong learners. And I, I still do them at the improv. I got one coming up gonna start December thirtieth at the Cleveland Improv, then I'm gonna head down to the Tampa Improv because I'm no fool. I'm going down there in the wintertime. I've been in northern <laughs> Ohio too long. Anyway, uh I don't blame me on that you know I, I do like a one hour program you know, mostly now for I I do it for schools video conferences things like that but I like to take it out to lifelong learners 55 and older communities and we have a lot of fun and it's a one hour and I, I I'll take that book out with me and they can buy a copy there it's humor but uh yeah I get them to write some comedy get them to talk tell their jokes matter of fact I set a record this past summer in Sandusky Ohio I had a woman uh, came up and did stand-up comedy in front of the the group. And I was talking to her because I'm like Johnny Carson. I get to interview him like they're on The Tonight Show. And she was 101 years old. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's, That's really neat. I told That's her I'm cool. coming back next year to work on some new material.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, Dave, thank you so much. I mean, obviously, very interesting man. You've done a lot. Uh, really excited about your books. If people are interested in learning more about you or interested in purchasing your books, where would they go to do that?
4: Well, I've got, I, I always say Amazon. Okay. That's, you know, the number one online seller. So you go to Amazon and you can put in the Beatles in Cleveland and all my other books come up Or you can put in how to be a working comic. And again, it'll take you to my author page and all the books are on it, the Beatles at Shea stadium uh, for more about me. Like what I do, I have the websites. And since so we're talking about the Beatles, you can actually go to Beatlesincleveland.com in Cleveland dot com and uh, or Beatles at Shea Stadium or Beatles dot com. And that'll give you like, you know, I, I book these programs and I consider them events. I show films of the Beatles at public hall at a Cleveland Stadium or Shea Stadium um, So you go on there and see where I'm where I'm doing these programs. I have quite a few coming up in northern Ohio and um, or if you want to schedule it, something like that, that's the way to go to it, it has contact forms for me. And uh, for the comedy stuff, it's the t h e com because I wrote the comedy book. That's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So, and I do online workshops also for people. Again, they don't have to be comedians. About half the people I work with are aspiring comedians. Others, I work with lawyers and doctors and teachers and students. And I, I had a psychiatrist in my last workshop in Cleveland. I thought she was analyzing me the whole time. And if she did, she would find out I'm crazy. And I'm going to analyze her as crazy for taking my workshop and getting up and doing stand-up comedy in front of a full audience. <laughs> so we have fun, a lot of laughs.
0: That's outstanding. Well, Dave, a complete pre- pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And obviously we'll have to make sure we check out your book about the Beatles as well as the others, but really appreciate the time. And uh, we look forward to possibly talking to you again down the road. Okay,
4: guys, thank you very much. Have a great day and keep laughing.
0: Set out and about northeast Ohio and surrounding areas, spending our hard-earned cash on food and drink. I mean, let's yes. be honest. That's well, what we've done. What so, else A couple of quick ones here. Um, headed south. Um, so I was at Loggerheads in Medina, which I've talked about before. Great food. Very good wings, I must say. And they have a very good beer selection. I know we've talked about this place many a times. Planted Flag which is owned by Aaron Wurtz, who was on our podcast. One of the first people we actually interviewed, I think. Um, he's crushing it. His place has been great. I've been there a couple different times. Great beers. I have actually decided that I'm not... When I go to his place, he's got great beer, but I have one of his ciders. He has a cider right now. I don't know how he does it. It's It tastes like a mimosa. Mm. And everybody, when I get it, looks at me because it's like bright orange. It looks like orange juice. And when I get it, people are like, what is that? I'm like, well, it's a mimosa. I'm like, really? So then they try it. And I'm like, holy crap. So hats off to Aaron. So very good stuff. And then besides some cross-country meets that I've gone to and a couple other items, I've been just buried with work, man. I, I did a trip to South Carolina where I hung out in an area called Duncan. And then I was in downtown Landrum where we went to a very cool bar called The Hare and the Hound. It was very neat. Great food. With beverages that's what i got and then i hung out at the charlotte airport which by the way i don't know, think anybody wants to really hang out there i mean what? it's a nice airport it's just huge and a ton of people well let's be honest i think it's better than the cleveland airport is i'm not a fan of that airport at all so What's once the, again uh... i'm just you know me or bib will probably never be on our podcast as it is but i i just think that airport is just complete crap that's where i'm that... at don't like it don't like it at all i don't have to i could respect it but i don't have to like it so that's that's where i'm at i just i do not like the Cluton airport
1: so the hare and the hound what did they serve rabbit there what i don't understand no great great name
0: but no it's burgers and they have a specialty wrap and all that i did have an interesting experience where i was told the clam chowder there is good so i got the clam chowder and i guess the waiter was confused on what i wanted so He gave me a bowl of clam chowder. And then I got a sandwich. And with
1: that sandwich, you got clam chowder more
0: clam chowder. So that was the uh, that was the joke of the day. I hope it was good. Was it good? It wasn't bad. I I, I think it was Campbell's soup is good
1: food. Well,
0: it was it was good. Yeah, it was good. Good. And the only other experience I had, I went to a Cracker Barrel where not sure if this happened to you or not. I ordered iced tea and twice, not once, but twice when the waitress decided to pour my iced tea in my cup, dumped it all over my pants. Not once, twice. Missed the cup. Same place? Pretty much. Yeah, it looks like I I had a problem. Yeah. So that was fun. So once again, I'm I'm just glad to bring humor to my fellow employees and all that. But yeah, it was uh, very interesting.
1: Did she have a problem when it came time for the tip? No, we we still tipped the way we should,
0: but she just kind of acted as though nothing happened. That's probably the part that's the funniest. Okay.
1: There you go. Uh, Well, Ken, I had a big trip to Minneapolis. Oh. Oh, this was huge. Okay. I got there on a Monday night, picked the coworkers up because I have to drive the van. We had a trade show, picked the coworkers up Tuesday morning, set up for the trade show, went to the trade show Tuesday night. Got the chills. Oh no! Sat in the van the rest of the evening. They drove me back to the hotel, and I slept for two days. And missed the whole. Oh my! No, seriously. Oh, yeah. that's terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. I may, have, I may have had COVID. I don't know. I was in a hotel, so I didn't test. I just stayed, stayed to myself. And uh, you know, ordinarily when I come home, my wife's like, "Come on, hurry, You know, drive as fast as you can. Let's go." And in this particular case, take your time. Take your time. Take Don't. your time. Yep. You got to stay in a hotel for an extra day or three. It's okay. So, I are can't... you feeling better now? Are you good? Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, well, I can't hear out of my right ear, but other than that, everything. Huh? What? Yes. I tell my wife to stand on that side and then everything's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, no yeah. Issues. Yep. My wife, this is where it is now at our house. My wife has a cold. She's losing her voice, so she can't talk and I can't hear. Wow. You guys are the great. perfect match. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's a perfect match. Yep. Outstanding.
2: Is
0: that what we have? That's your out and about? That's all I got. I love it. Well, we're out supporting uh, many industries, I guess, and you could say in the U.S. I mean, we've expanded our horizons. South Carolina. Minneapolis, and of course, our wonderful area of Northeast Ohio. Get out and support your bars and restaurants, and don't forget to get, be out and about yourself. Time for another history lesson with Mr. John Gerbowski. John, I have one that a lot of people that are listening to this podcast will probably have some fond memories of. I know my father certainly did. The Cleveland Arena. Give us a little histi- history lesson on the Cleveland Arena.
5: Okay. Well, it, it opened in 1937. I can always start with that. And um, and it's built on the site of the mansion of Charles F. Brush. So that was one of the grandest oh. homes on Euclid Avenue. And the man who built it is fascinating. His name is Albert C. Sutphin. And and Al Sutphin was, he was basically a Central High graduate graduate. Uh, he played hockey in Central High School, okay. Uh, he was in semi-pro baseball and basketball, and he was the boxing commissioner of Cleveland at one time. And he, he, oh, he basically joined as a young man, the Braden Ink Company, and that became the Braden Sutton Ink Company. So he became fairly wealthy, but he was into, into sports. And, uh, and basically Euclid Avenue was, was changing by the twenties and thirties. The mansions were being vacated. People had moved away from the smoky, dirty city. And so he bought that land. And he bought it for a hockey team he owned, um, and uh, it was the Cleveland Barons, which gets into the whole story of hockey in Cleveland. And where did they play hockey before they had the rink at uh, at the arena? Well, they, they played at a place called the Elysium, <laughs> okay? And I'm looking out my window here at the university, and I can almost point to where the Elysium was. It was 107th and Euclid was built in 1907, and it was the first ice palace in Cleveland. And that was actually built by the Humphrey family, who started Euclid Beach Park. And so the first Cleveland hockey team played there, I think, in the 1920s. You'll never guess what the first team's name was. The The Guardians. No, the Cleveland Indians. Oh. Oh, So How we had a football that? team named the Indians. We had a hockey team named the Indians and a baseball team named the Indians. And Sutphin was was into in, into hockey. And, and the cost, I'm, I'm looking at my figures here, I think it was uh, oh, $1.3 million that uh, Sutphin yeah. raised that money, $1.5 million, a 10,000-seat facility. And he was smart. It was not just the arena. This frontage on Euclid Avenue had stores, so we had income from the store. Uh-huh. But he didn't need that because the first event there was not a hockey game, it was the Ice Follies. Mm. <laughs> and at one point, when the arena was really going in the 1940s, I think there were 300 plus events within a single year. Oh my! So it was Ice Follies, it was hockey, you know, and the Barons were there. Uh, what we're, we're looking at then is either track meets, the Knights of Columbus track meets. There were boxing matches there. Well one of the one was a championship bout in 1947. And it was tragic because Jimmy Doyle, who was one of the boxers, died uh, died in the ring there. So he died from bats in the ring. And so it was hockey and and then of course 1952 is ta-da, the Moondog Coronation Ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: The legendary Moondog Coronation
5: which you know ended after one number. Because it yeah. overpacked, and I've always said that was kind of indicative of what every rock and roll concert would be from then on. <laughs> so, but you know, that's the Moondog Coronation Ball, and and then you know, Sondheim sells out in 1949. He sells out on, in 1949. Uh, the the point is, uh, I think it's 49. Yeah, for him. Uh, What I do know is is that by the late 40s, they had. Essentially, paid off the entire mortgage. Oh my! So, yeah, the mortgage was paid off in ten to twelve years. Yeah. Wow. That we was, get was that, that was the activity on Euclid Avenue. So it, it was a place to go. I mean, it was track and field when the Knights in Columbus track meet was one of the meets. You know, the big track meet was you know New York uh, Athletic Club meet. You know, this this you know it it's a different athletic world at that time. But, you know, the story for me is fascinating. You know, hockey coming to Cleveland, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it grows really slowly. One, one of my grad students, Megan Schill, was the expert on hockey. You need to have her on if you ever do hockey sometime. She actually lectures my sports history class on hockey. But, you know, it grows slowly. But look at it now. I mean, with and you can't have hockey outside of Canada, really, where things freeze over naturally until you invent refrigerated rinks and, and those oh. begin in late ni- in the 19th century and and that's what the elysium had and that's what the arena had so oh. it's a marvel uh, i often compare the fact that you know that's if we talk about the moondog coronation ball at the arena if you look at charles f brush's house he had one of the world's, one of the largest pipe organs in Cleveland. It was, went up three stories. The pipes went up three stories. And it's also you go from this classical pipe organ to rock and roll and all these. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's it's now the, I believe the American Red Cross, Cross headquarters are there. At uh, that point. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, John, the Cleveland arena, we all know that Nick Maletti. Oh yeah. Oh, you know, he, you know, wanted to, there was a fight. He moved out of town, but, um, was the was the arena outdated at that point or was Nick Meletti just wanting to leave town what's the there's more I think there's more to the story than just Nick Meletti wants to leave
5: um yeah well the arena was fairly outdated at that point it, it had limitations and uh, I Nick Miletti was searching for someplace else in town and I don't think he got that I don't know the story fully but he decided to build the Coliseum which is now gone and he felt that building it out, you know, on the highway between Akron and Cleveland would allow people from both cities to, you know, come to the events there. Uh, of course, they found out that the traffic jams were immense when they went there. Uh, but the arena was going down because the 1970s was was not the best period in Cleveland's history. Sure. And had it, you know, it could have survived, but it ceased hosting major events in 1974 and was torn down in 1977. Wow. So if you're looking at Cleveland in, in the 1970s, you're looking at a period of immense population loss. You're looking at default coming in. You're looking at civil dysfunction coming in. Uh, so, yeah, and, and Euclid Avenue at that time has basically lost a lot of its chain. If you look at Euclid Avenue, over, many people remember it as Millionaire's Row, but that was shifting out by the 1920s and it Euclid Avenue had music venues after that. It, you know, it it had uh, Leo's Casino. It it also had uh, it had a number of dance halls along Euclid Avenue and used car lots and heaven knows what else. But by the 70s, those were moving out as well. And of course, now is the Healthline Corridor. It's the Euclid Corridor, and it's it's Midtown's been re, revivified, so to speak. Uh, looking at the Cleveland Foundation, which moved its headquarters out U- on Euclid, you know I think at East 71st Street or close to uh, in the East 70s there. Uh, so yeah, it comes and goes, uh, but uh, the arena is is a place of memories for people who love sports and particularly hockey fans. Oh, for sure. It just you know it, because it was okay you'd seen at 10,000, but your proximity to the playing area was really close. And let's not forget that it also hosted basketball. Yeah. There there were pro basketball teams starting with the Pipers in Cleveland, you know, and so, you know, basketball took a while to take off. And now now basketball's, you know, the second largest sport in the United States following football and then baseball trails is third. Uh, But yeah, uh, if you see pictures of the arena when it was new, it was really spiffy front, uh, You know, good shopping, whatever else.
0: John, it's such an interesting topic, the Cleveland Arena. To your knowledge, this will be my last question. Is there a a book or somewhere we can go to find out more information and more of the history above and beyond what you've told us today?
5: Yeah, there are a couple of books on the arena, but there's a new book out. uh, You'll have to Google Al Sutphin's name. It's about Al Sutphin. And and Sutphin... uh, you know, basically, is, it's S-U-T-P-H-I-N. Uh, and one of my grad students who's uh, working on his PhD here uh, has recommended this book to me. And and it's a popular book, and it's really good. It's about Sutphin and how he created the sports empire. And that mm. gets into the whole arena construction. There are pictures of the construction, whatever else. So, yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. I don't have
5: the title of the book handy, but if you Google books for Al Sutphin, you'll find it. Uh I think he's one of the forgotten sports entrepreneurs in Cleveland. You know, the Rosenblum's are there. The Sutton's are there. You know, these, these are not the big shots who own the baseball teams. These are people who are working in other sports. And, and, and you, you know, you can look at the beginnings of the Cleveland Browns in the same way. You know, Mickey McBride, you know, and the Grease family are in with the Browns when football was not a mega-million-dollar business. So this is, you know, Sutton is the beginning of, he, he, you know, hockey was here before Sutton, but he, he made it what it is.
0: John, outstanding information and putting you on the spot. And once again, you deliver with uh, some more information. <laughs> so I'll make sure I check that out. John, thanks again. What a history lesson we learned about a very iconic place, the Cleveland arena today. Thank you so much, John.
5: My pleasure. Yeah, it's been a long time since the arena was there. The most trusted name in journalism, Klopp's Clips.
1: All right, Ken, here we go. An accused thief in Poland Mm. used a unique method to try to pull off his crime. The 22 year old man snuck into the store of a uh, display of a store in a mall. And then he stood there motionless until the mall closed and everybody left. Then he apparently robbed the jewelry stand in the mall and got away with it. He was apparently happy with his first effort, so he came back and tried again a few days later. He stopped for some food, though, on the way there. And that's when he was recognized by mall security and arrested. He couldn't get 10 years in prison. The guy was hungry. Apparently. Had to do it. Yeah. An Atlanta home was accidentally demolished. Oh, no. The home had apparently been vacant for several years, but the taxes were paid, and the home was apparently kept up by the owner. The grass was mowed and whatnot. The owner was out of town recently when she received a phone call from a neighbor saying that the home was destroyed. She sent a family member to the home who asked the demolition crew to see their permit. Apparently, a worker with the demolition crew pulled out the permit and said, quote, oh, I'm at the wrong address. (laughs) This is after, you know, there's a pile of rubble as he's saying this. The company ironically called, you call it, we haul it. They're, They're investigating the mistake. Investigating.
0: Let me get this straight.
1: Please. You knocked down which
0: house? <laughs> no, that's the wrong one. Yeah. Wow, that
1: is a that is a lawsuit and a half, I can imagine. Yeah. A brewery in China. Speaking of lawsuits, this could be one. They're in trouble. After a viral video got out that apparently shows a worker peeing in a tank of malt. <laughs> the brewery says... The brewery, <laughs> the brewery says the batch of malt in the tank was sealed off from use, and the urination was reported at the first opportunity. I don't know when that was in relation hmm. to the eating took place, but uh, uh, ironically, uh, after the video was released, uh, shares of the brewery fell sharply when the Shanghai Stock Exchange opened, but they have since recovered.
0: I think that's just part of the recipe. I don't think that's anything I'm, different.
1: I I got to tell you, if that happened to my beer, I might be kind of pissed. Yeah. Charity-run thrift store in Wales is asking supporters to stop donating their used and unused adult toys. <laughs> God. Jeez. The, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, bar, the Barnados store, which supports... excuse me, a children's charity. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They sent out a release asking donors to be careful what they bring to the store. The release said, quote, could those of you who kindly donate, please be mindful that we are a children's charity. And as such, we have a range of ages on our wonderful volunteer team. We therefore ask, That you refrain from donating your used and unused marital aids. We would also like to remind you that the branch has a CCTV feed so that these items can be traced back to their owners. Ah, boy. Ah, boy. So keep those items at home. Yeah. The garbage is just fine. The don't garbage is eat fine. Those. correct. Don't need to donate those. Can you imagine the conversation when uh, <laughs> the 10-year-old volunteer gets what what is this? What's what this? is this? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that'd be classic. Sports, here's some scores. 21 to 17, 28 to 24, and 17 to 13. I'm Ted Klopp. That's news to me.
2: What a dad joke.
1: Hey, Ken, what did one wall say to the other? I don't know. I'll meet you at the corner.
2: That joke was horrible.
1: We are coming to the end of episode number 124. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland. And by the way, if you would like the opportunity to meet the one and only Ken Dwarznick, You can do so at Cool Beans, where he is a barista now. He'll pour you a cup of coffee, and if you're nice to him, maybe he'll sign an autograph. I don't know that it'll be his name that he writes, and this comes from uh, past, uh, what is it, past performance is not indicative of future results. Uh, That's
0: exactly right. That's correct. He
1: used to go to a restaurant here in uh, the downtown Cleveland area, and the building that we would go to, they wanted us to sign in every time we would go there, and we had a contest between the two of us to see who could put the most ridiculous name down. And so we were Donald Duck and uh, Kevin Stefanski and yeah. Joe Tate, all kinds of different people.
0: I was Joe Carter the one time. Were Nobody you? said okay. anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Sometimes it was. Uh, sometimes it was you know timely you know news that, like. Uh, uh, if Donald Trump just got elected, we were Donald Trump. Yep. Sometimes it was just, you know, arbitrary, you know, celebrity name. Oral Hershiser. Or whatever
0: Hersh- ever never questioned it. Yeah, No
1: questions whatsoever. Oh, they yeah, never read those. Times. I'm sure they never read one of those things. Is that place still open, by the way? I have no idea. I haven't been over there since uh, COVID. That kind of slammed the door on that. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, so yeah, you want to
0: see me in action, doing some barista action. On the weekends at uh, Cool Beans on the Square. I uh, My first job there is actually probably the best job I can have. Is Everyone was happy. I handed out chocolate samples. Oh. It was uh, the chocolate festival they had in Medina around the square. And so I handed out chocolate. Let's be honest. Who's going to say no to that? Right. Would you like to sample this? Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, I so- yeah, okay. made everyone happy.
1: It was great. Yeah, it was great. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I, you pour a, a mean, uh, mean, uh, cup of, uh, the Joe. Well, here's the part that's
0: interesting. I, I, you know, I'm a coffee drinker and I just drink black coffee. Drip coffee is all I have. So I didn't know that there's so many different types of coffees out there from a cappuccino to a latte to an espresso. I, I didn't know anything about that. So yeah, I've learned how to make all those and super exciting. Uh, don't get me wrong. I need some help sometimes cause I don't know all, but
1: yeah, it's, it's getting better. So, all right. So what's the most challenging uh, cup of coffee that you've had to make? Something called an Almond Joy, which is a combination
0: of some different syrups and and all that. So that would probably be the most most difficult that I've had to make. So okay. only one person has complained so far of the coffee that I've made. So that's pretty
1: good. I've made a lot. So, Have you uh, ever poured the coffee on a person instead of in their cup? No. Luckily, all we do is we, we make the coffee
0: in the back. Okay. We, we present that to them. So there's never, a, never an option to get injured. You write their name on it? Their name is written as long. Well, yeah. And then they also write down what they're getting. So
1: now do you write little funny messages, you know, like, I hope this brightens your day or, you know, may, may, May a dark cloud follow you home or something like that? Do you ever write? No,
0: the, the problem that I have, and it's been a problem since I've been born, is that my handwriting is awful. You oh, can't yeah. read it. It's I mean, so I don't write anything. So I have other people write on there because they're not going to be able to read it. That's kind of where I'm at. So I don't have to worry about brightening someone's day because they're never going to read my stuff.
1: There it is. And uh, you will appreciate this when I used to work with Jeff Phelps, uh, since we're name dropping on this show. Yeah,
0: so- we like to name drop. Perfect. Uh, When I worked
1: with Jeff Phelps at Channel 19 and 43, you would uh, cut the highlights and do a shot sheet for them. I would have to type my shot sheets up because nobody could read them. Yep. I love it. Yeah.
0: That's classic.
1: Well, that's what we got. Uh, Anything exciting coming up this week? Uh, A little bit more work. Just... uh... Busy time of year for oh, business yeah.
0: stuff. I mean, I know you guys have been completely swamped, which is a great oh. thing of events and all that. I, I've I've had quite a bit of stuff that's coming through as well. I don't know if it's, obviously we have two different businesses. Yours is, I think, just the time of year when you have stuff, people are doing a lot of things. For us, it's the time of year where people have to basically spend the money in their budget. So yeah. that's kind of where we're at. I know many of people listening to this podcast understand that well, that if you don't spend it, you lose it for the next year, so we're uh, we're reacting to that and in, in our industry. But no, other than that, that's that's really about it. We'll be taking in more college football, which is almost coming to an end. I can't believe that. Yeah, I can't believe crazy. that. Ohio State Michigan game is like what less than a month away. Three weeks, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah. watching that and then not uh, just running around with kids and. Kids finished the first quarter, did very well. And now we're, I mean, Thanksgiving's coming up. And once you hit Thanksgiving, then you're in Christmas season and
1: then the new year. Here we go. Fourth quarter. Let's go. Proud, uh, proud dad moment. Uh, All three kids have started getting letter grades in in some of their subjects. Yes. We had all three of them. Yep. We only had one grade in one subject that was a C plus or lower it was a seat nice. and i'm told by that particular child who shall remain nameless that it was a uh a tandem project and his grade okay. suffered in part because his partner did not do what he was supposed to
0: it's always easier to blame the partner
1: well that's true so uh,
0: i would do the same i don't know if
1: i buy that or not but uh as I tell them always, uh, you know, straight A's will we, we've talked about a reward for straight A's, so we'll see if anybody gets it. What reward do we get? Oh, well, we've talked about a choice of things. It could be, oh. you know, they have always they've been asking if they could they they can have a computer for the kids. I said get straight A's and we'll get you a computer. There you go. Nice. So exciting. A's and B's, which is acceptable. Yes. Straight A's is what we're shooting for. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's
1: great. Good for yeah. them. Good for them.
0: Well, Ted, great show today. Uh, very exciting. Jen Brastovich, thank you. Uh, we really appreciate. Uh... Did we have Dusty Sloan today or no? Oh. We didn't have Dusty. <laughs> I Maybe I just been thinking about Dusty. I wanted to just mention his name. He'll be on soon enough.
1: He uh he's rocking a great actor by the way. I heard he got hit in the head with a stuffed animal. I don't know if that's true or not. just what I heard, yeah, that was a nice Twitter post there, yeah, uh
0: special thanks to David Schwenson. um he's got a book about the Beatles in Cleveland, so check oh, that so
1: out isn't doesn't he have a burger? Oh, that's
0: Swenson's that's Swenson's. no Swenson's. Okay. very similar different though, okay. And Mr. Grabowski, the professor, telling about us uh, the, uh, was it, Cleveland Arena? Cleveland yeah. Arena, yes. Cleveland Arena, very exciting, very exciting. And, of course, uh, Ted, thank you for your time and effort on this podcast, and we look forward to bringing this to you once again, maybe in two weeks. I don't know. We'll see. It's depending on what our schedules are and if you don't have COVID.
1: So there we yeah, go. Yeah, well, you know, small things. Small things. Maybe I'll be able to hear the next time we speak. Yeah, I just you know, well, maybe you won't. What? Maybe you won't want to.
0: There we go. Well, Ted, just don't forget, we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland.
5: Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV, custom audiovisual packages for all occasions.